See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It, it, it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derrick Podcast. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Shady Lion Coffee. It is legitimately some of the world's greatest coffee. It's the top 1% of coffee bean that you can find on the planet. That means if you were to try 100 coffees, this coffee would be better than 99 of them in terms of taste and quality and what it is. Their current uh, product that they have out is an Ethiopian medium roast. It's super sweet. It's light. It's just so smooth. I have seen so many of the reviews come in on this thing, and I personally drink it just about every day. In fact, the only reason I didn't drink it today is because I ran out, and uh, and I'm waiting for my next order to come in. So that's the other thing that's cool about Shady Lion Coffee is it's not packaged and sitting in a warehouse somewhere. When you order it, or if you're a subscriber, they do have a subscription service. It's uh, literally the beans are roasted, and if you do the ground bean, then they grind it, you know, all that stuff, or if it's the whole bean, but the whole, the the process that goes into packaging coffee does not happen with the roasted beans, the beans aren't roasted until your order comes through, whether you're a subscriber and it's on the same day every month, or if it's your first time, you're doing a one-time order. So you can guarantee yourself that it's fresh and uh, you're getting coffee at its peak freshness. So Shady Lion Coffee. In fact, all listeners of the podcast get 10% off. So you can take this code over to the website. It's uh, HDP is in the Human Derek podcast. So HDP gets you 10% off. I think any and all orders, whether it's a one-time or a subscription. So 10% off at ShadyLion.com. S-H-A-D-Y like shady, like you're under a shady tree or shady something, hiding from the sun, uh, shady lion, like rawr. So lion, king of the jungle, uh, shadylion.com will get you access to that coffee. Thank you. You are welcome. A lot of times when brands, protein bars or whatever, when they... Do what? It's fun, huh? But yeah, that's, <laughs> they caught me off guard. There, to be honest, <laughs> got to make sure it's thoroughly mixed, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's fun. It's cool. Yeah, they. You know, it's like if you used a really high, like let's say you you were selling like mm. canned goat soup, and you know when you have. 100 customers, it's easy to get the goats. But then you have a million customers, and you're like, that's a lot of goats, right? right. you got to maybe put less goat in there or something. Yeah. It's sort of a weird example, but... No, it's not. It's <laughs> I, can, I can see what you're talking about. I, I can see that after... Like, on, it's becoming super popular over the past years. Like, yeah. You know? Like, when I found out about them, I was in China, so I didn't even know the word thing until quite late, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about China. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about China. What would you like to know? How how long were you there? Okay. So Why'd um, you go? in 2007, um, I ended up applying to a master's program. And part of the master's program was uh, the coursework was to be done in China. That's what got me there. You know, I mean, it's back in 07. Um, I left the country 
just right before the pandemic. What was that? Was it like two, 220? 2020. 2020. I left in the, yeah, I came back 2020, literally. So it was over, over 13 years, you know, that I spent out there. Um, so like I said, it was for a master's degree. And at the time I was like, my career was going in a different direction. Like I was thinking I was going to be hitting up like a state department side, you know, um, never into the fitness world. And that's, that was the reason why I ended up going out there. So 100% the master's degree. Yeah. Were you into fitness before you went? No, no, not at all. Not any kind of like, no, no. Yeah. Do you have one of those stories where you weighed like yeah. 300 pounds? Yeah, and really? Yeah. Oh, let's hear um, about not, that. Not exactly 300, <laughs> n- not exactly 300 pounds. Um, <laughs> like, I think I was pushing close to 210 at the, at the heaviest, you know, which is weird too, because my frame is small and I, I'm not that tall, you know. But um, aside from the weight, I have to say more, um, I was, I didn't have any freedom with my body, you know. I didn't, uh, I didn't feel comfortable in the sense of, you know, even basic facts like running, uh, jumping, you know. So I really felt that um, for me, the wellness really kind of gave me that movement freedom that oh. helped the rest of my life. Yeah, but I, I like when you said that freedom of your body, right? Yeah. Like that's a really powerful statement. What, what is, what's that guy? Is it Plato, is it, or is it Socrates? Or to not know, is it Plato, right? To not know, I'm going to butcher the fucking quote. To not know um, your body as a man, it's like a, like a great sin, you know? Mm. We, need to, we should see what we are capable of as, you know, in our physical bodies, right? Or at least to flirt with that and see what that looks like for, for yourself, you know? I think that's what kept me going and kept me pushing the boundaries, yeah. Yeah, a lot of those great thinkers, I mean, they practiced with swords and just in general, like just yeah. life was hard, so they had to be strong, yeah. you know? So that's really, really, yeah, Marcus Aurelius, I mean, he's a super yeah. intelligent guy and, yeah. you know, they just, they train that way all the time. Like you have to kind of survive as well. We don't have to do that as much these days because there's nobody trying to raid I, my What does, so, right, <laughs> so, definitely society structured differently right now, but, and it's, but we need we we can do that for ourselves, and we that's why we have these Spartan races, right? To mimic these competitions <laughs> of like, come and join. I mean, that's the whole purpose of this to help us connect with our competitive nature, right? Ultimately, you know. I think they should introduce hand to hand combat as part of the Spartan races now. Is that yeah? Like, so, <laughs> wait, how would that work out though? Would it be like you'd have to do burpees if you get beat up or what? Like, yeah, like there's a when you have to like run the logs or maybe the electric thing. Like, there's just some people standing there and they have those. Uh, remember the American Gladiator show? Yeah, okay. They have like the big giant soft Q-tips and they're just whacking you like yeah. just a little little more I can physical see that. punishment. Yeah, the, there might be already that like a race that does that. There's like an extreme race, you know, one of these ultra marathon style, uh, like, uh, uh, obstacle course races. Okay. I don't know if they do that. I don't know if that's a military thing either way. By the way, you can totally grab this thing and you can move it. You've yeah. got, you've got freedom of microphone right, too. Awesome. So I'm not going to knock this out. There you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. It's pretty, can be out here, so. it goes left, right up down. The only thing it doesn't okay. do is come up. So if you do that, but you can Cheers. like literally whatever, uh, you can twist Dude, Derek, it. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, man. Like Absolutely. it's, it's uh, I know, um, what was it? The first time we met, we met during that weekend with uh, uh, Mauricio's uh, uh, hydrocore bag. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, and I was just coming up, and I, I see Mauricio, and then I see Seth, 
right? Seth is another, uh, I think now a mutual Instagram friend. And I know he's up in Utah. And I was like, no way he's here. And then you were right with the group. It was really nice. Uh, and you, have you guys known each other for a while or? Okay. So, um, a little bit more about China and making the connection with yeah. it. So, um, I started doing, I was like the first person that I know of to at the time about like maybe eight years now that I started without the unconventional training stuff in China. So now it has grown over the years, but I remember at a time where, um, where they didn't even know, even the manufacturing companies didn't know what a mace was. They're like, we make these things, but we don't know what they're used for, hmm. you know? Um, so at that time, I came across Mauricio through, I saw his club real work because he was in the TACFIT organization before, right? And I kind of went down the rabbit hole on YouTube and, you know, at the, um, there's not a lot of people swinging clubs. So Mauricio was one of the first, per, uh, um, one of the first instructors that I kind of met, um, online. And then after that, I think I sent him a message on Instagram and he got back to me and he wanted to get the hydrocore back out in China. That's mm. kind of like the last conversation. He was telling me at the time that he was producing the hydrocore back with on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is several years back. Yeah. Um, and we kept in touch ever since, you know, and, now, after I moved back to the United States, um, I really reached out. I wanted to read, uh, know more about the community, everyone that, that I've been communicating with abroad, and now the people who are in Long Beach or Southern California, like yourself. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful place to be. So, yeah. So, you, so I'm going to go back a little bit too. So, you weighed yeah. two, you weighed 210, and you, how tall are you? Uh, five, seven, five, seven, yeah. five, seven, five, seven. And what do you weigh right now? I am at about 170 now. Yeah. Like a 40. I'm a little bit heavier now. Yeah, okay. For sure. You think you're you're stronger now than you were at that weight? I am, oh for sure, without a doubt. On all like, if you if you look at um, if you want to look at uh, coordination, ability, speed, agility, you know all the markers. I'm definitely a lot better in all those. Okay. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk a little about just what you what you do right now? So in terms of fitness and mm -hmm. business and. Okay, so a little bit about what I do now. I'm. Um, there you go. Is that better? Yeah. Is that I'm, you, you I'm most difference? known for? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm most known for the uh, for the Instagram handle Primal Six or the brand name Primal Six, uh, which is an unconventional training brand um, um, that I kind of came up with in order to essentially display the way of what I like to do, you know. And part of the strength training component is training with unconventional training equipment, which is are the clubs, the maces, the Persian meals, um, anything swimming for that matter. But there's another component to it. There's the body weight component that I'm really interested in, um, like the animal flow stuff, even borderline capoeira, uh, acro yoga. Um, and then the third component would be the balancing component. Um, I'm a huge into balance and stability from a slackline perspective, from a stability bar perspective, or anything that resonates with balancing, like um, I resonate with quite a bit, you know. So that's what I do. And um, my work is not only, it's partitioned between China and between the United States, but mostly Asia uh, and Europe. So I service a lot of my clients still online. Yeah, okay, and I, you, go ahead. Oh, when you say service clients, is that in the training capacity? Training capacity, that... so actually three ways. Um, uh, distribution of equipment, uh, education, and training capacity for more personal training clients. Okay. Yeah. And your equipment, I mean, you brought some here yeah, with you. I brought your sample there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it'd be kind of nice. Baby, can, can I hold it? 
So this this particular Persian meal that I got you is from. And also, if you wanted to, I mean, you can literally like. I know okay, you're like leaning back. You can. So you can check it out. <laughs> okay. Just so you can see it. It's kind of a little bit of history about it in there too. So this is this is made from a single piece of aged elm, and the design comes from Master Paul. Are you familiar with Paul Wokowinski? I am not. Okay, so he is a legend in the Indian club world. Excuse me. And yeah, what did you? What do you think? I mean, so okay, so for so first, describe what you're holding. Listening, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, the handle is very similar to like a, I would say like a baseball, the bottom of a baseball bat, except that the the knob on the end is uh, you know maybe two thirds of the size and diameter, and then it's a giant tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's also really soft and it yeah. seems very well balanced so how much is this way um that's a, it's a seven kilogram design but now it's about i think it's maybe give or take six kilograms which is roughly translates to like 12 13 pounds 12 13 pounds it just yeah. it feels very smooth too you know because i have those other maces and clubs and everything and they are yeah. um even the five pounds they, they feel very concentrated and sort of mm-hmm. dense with weight that one feels like I could swing it around a little bit more and have more, just more movement. Yeah, definitely. Um, for the way that you should, should well, first of all, before we open even more topics, <laughs> uh, that's the equipment, because these are for sure more for um, longer swinging times, you know, more endurance swings. So they, they're, they're comfortable to swing. But this is some of the equipment that I make along with other Shino board equipment and uh, uh, steel clubs, which I don't make, just distribute. That's really impressive. So what would something like that cost? Um, out for, there, so that, let me translate that into RMB, 30 grand. Maybe like close to like 600 bucks. Okay, yeah, wow. around there. So just speak, the, the only reason why is because it's the type of wood. Yeah. You know, if we change the wood, then it'll be a lot cheaper. That's, okay. all, that's the only issue like with the wood. No, I think it's wood. beautiful. Yeah, I'm really happy with those meals. Really happy. Shout out to Paul for, for the designs. <laughs> yeah, definitely check them out. So it's a it's a very niche uh, market to have a six hundred dollar club, right? Yeah, these are right. There are more affordable ones, obviously, like uh-huh. uh, just straight up pine wood. Um, there's even like other uh, like uh, areas where we can explore, like using polymers for it. But people like the the feel of the wood mm-hmm. rather than like you don't want something black. I mean, for a novice user, maybe you won't tell the difference, but for someone, you might have that preference for wood. I think that's one of my favorite things about the quad mace is the fact that it's a wood handle. Yeah. Like I just like it more than the other ones. The connection is different, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's also a very nice maze. One of my first ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I enjoyed it. So yeah, so this is um so equipment and also education. Um prior to coming to um the United States, um I would tour with the Club Bell workshop where I would go around different gyms in China that provide them equipment and um basically go through uh, a two a two day uh coursework for them you know show them how to use it very cool yeah okay so was there was there a turning point right so you you go to china you're going to get your master's and what were you gonna get your master's in did i miss that uh this is it it was a international studies and it was like some sort of a i think a business degree at the time it was a two-year program it was in uh and mis from irvine what shifted? Like, what hit you where you went, okay, you know, business master's is great, but uh, there's this whole other world, and, you know, you, what what triggered you to get into fitness? I think when I started talking, there's a lot of my work. 
you know, that, I mean, not the, what triggered me to get into fitness was very different. I can tell that story right now, but, uh, what in terms of, uh, what made me want to like continue doing fitness or like shifting my career was I was talking about it so much and I was always excited mm-hmm. and I wanted to share like the amount of happiness that it brought to my life with others. Um, and then at the time I started, um, by doing these community workouts. And man, you have to think this is like shit, like seven or eight years ago in China. Like there's not a lot of community engagement, especially with the foreign population there, you know? Um, so I would bring a kettlebell and this is not even like kettlebells are relatively new in the fitness market and like new in terms of, and this is at a time where people didn't know what they were. Like people were only just associating machines in the gym. And this is in China early stages of the fitness market, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's how I kind of went about it. it. I started from just doing weekend train. My friend's like, hey, how about you set up a group class? And I did, and I would just invite people to come and train. And then I enjoyed it that much that I decided, okay, let's explore this, you know? It's pretty cool, and it's something you can do from anywhere on the planet too versus... Yeah, but it didn't start, right. It didn't start like, uh, right. Um, it didn't start... Um, and obviously doing it online, it started like doing it out there. And it was interesting too, to do it in Chinese. Mm. It was weird because like, as it is, I'm not an in your face coach, like, come on, let's go kind of, but in Chinese, like the, the way you communicate is different. So, I mean, like it's lost in translation almost where is you need to have that kind of, um, Mm. energy, which is, which would be different than my personality, I would say, like when I speak English, but in Chinese, it's more, I don't know if I understood that's the way that they, you know, get them going. So it was more, would you say the language is a little more like direct and commanding? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent sure. Yeah. Like they don't, um, one of the, um, in the early years, one of the people, uh, when people go to China and they get that first reverse culture shock experience, it's always associated to the language. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, you're fat. Like that's a very direct <laughs> statement <laughs> where, it. where it like, the, you think like, uh, cause the little translation, hey, ni hao pan, like you can say it in Chinese, but it doesn't, it's not rude to mm-hmm. them, you know, but when they translate it into English, then it's, uh, you know, it becomes very rude to us. Definitely talk yeah. to people about that. And it's like, I yeah. almost wonder if language has participated in making, you know, the U.S. a little softer in some ways because we have these pleasantries and politeness, you know, versus in, in our language, it's like, hey, you're fat, you know, or like, I know yeah, my friends, like they're, you know, some of their mothers will be like a little Japanese lady mm-hmm. or or Mexican even. And, and like, you know, if they see you, they're, depending even when their their English is what their English is it's hey you're looking thin mm-hmm. you know have you been eating enough lately what are you doing and right. it's just like and there's no that's just a normal yeah. conversation here it's like oh she called me thin or she called me fat right. it's like it's what it is <laughs> what, do, what do you think about that like the the like the use of language or the sensitivity I mean not to throw it like sensitivity of society you know yeah, I think it's super unfortunate right now. And this yeah. is one of the reasons I'm reading so much history too, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I was having this conversation recently and I this morning, we're actually joking a little bit about it because I was reading the section of that Genghis Khan book that talked about how the warriors were super strong compared to some of the Chinese warriors at that time that they were actually facing. And a lot of the normal armies were fed grain diets, you mm-hmm. know, like just 
uh, porridge kind of stuff. The Mongol warriors were running around eating meat all day, you know, like hunting and they were way stronger and they ate way less. But, uh, what he introduced into the conversation was there was a, a segment where I was reading that by four years old, a lot of the Mongols would be learning to ride, um, horseback with no saddle, not only riding a horse, but standing up on the horse and learning to shoot a bow wow. so that they could start to hunt. Wow. Nowadays we're like, you know, my four-year-old said, hi mom or whatever on Instagram. And that's right. a huge deal. Not to discredit anybody's right. four-year-old child, but life was way harder back then. And so the more, yeah. the more sensitive or the more soft we get, I think the further we get disconnected from the reality of how chaotic the world really is. Right. You know, that's, you're making a great point. Like coming back for me, and I know I've talked about this before, at least, um, like experiencing the reverse culture shock and witnessing like, oh, I'm coming back to a different kind of America than when I left it. And I don't, and I wouldn't even, I don't even want to say that when I left it, but definitely strange times, different times. Um, and I never felt like, like, I don't know, like if I need to watch what I say or, you know, what kind of felt like everything's so sensitive, you know? Um, and then, so that first year was pretty challenging, not only because of the, um, the quarantine period, like not getting able, not being able to socialize. So that second year, once it kind of opened up for me, I was like, that's when it really kicked in because I started to socialize with people. Yeah. You know, we, when I first came back from Brazil, one of the things I noticed too is I'd been thinking in Portuguese for like eight months. Mm -hmm. And so my English was very simple. Yeah. And it was super strong and direct because I was still not, I was, I hadn't mastered Portuguese. So a lot of my Portuguese was still making me think very slowly and like some things were great, but I just had to think a lot more when I was communicating. And I found that really interesting because I wouldn't say I was more or less polite mm -hmm. by, by American standards but I was a lot more direct. Like there is this, how, what's the simplest way that I can say this to get my point across versus now being back for whatever, seven years, there's a little more fluff a lot in what I say and what I do and all these extra things. Well, do you think that was associated with the language or with the people? Could have been the people too. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. You know, I wonder how much of that would play a factor in, right? Like, because here, maybe like out there where you're communicating, like if they're acknowledging that you're a foreigner, so you're trying to communicate the most efficient way that you can based on what you know. Yeah. Or is it like, or maybe they just, you know that they don't care or something. I'll, t I'll tell you a terrible yeah. secret about that too, is like I've, I've practiced the art of small talk over the last few years because it used to, I think just literally raise my blood pressure when someone was like, oh, the weather or whatever. And I'm like, ah, yeah. I'm dying. Uh, and so... I, I, what I did there when I was like at a party with friends or at social events and people started talking about like what I would call like soap opera talk. Yeah. I just totally checked out and was like, Oh, my Portuguese isn't that good. Like, I don't understand. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I, so I, so I think, uh, I didn't engage in some of the extra conversations. I was like, this is a good reason to just sit here and like, you know, stare at the wall and be right. very happy with that. <laughs> but but at, the, but at the same time then you can all there's also the other coin, right? Where it's also a good opportunity for you to practice your uh meaningless Portuguese, 100%. right? 100%. <laughs> right? Yeah. So either way, at least getting you that practice. I I, I understand what you're saying cuz I I would find that when uh when uh in China too, 
I would start here. Oh, they're talking about this. And I was just like, I don't want to deal with it. Right. <laughs> so you just tune yourself out. Cheat code activated. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how you can uh, like literally check out from entire rooms. I mean, or at least being in the metro or something. And you're like, it's, it's when I started to learn the language enough that I can pick up on conversation. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Like mm-hmm. now I need to. I mean, it was a good thing. I was excited about that, but it was, then I had to turn it off. Yeah. Cause it was just chatter everywhere. Yeah. That's very real. Going back to your, your question about, you know, people being sens- sensitive and stuff too. I think the U S has been around for somewhere in the ballpark at 240, 250 mm-hmm. years, right around there, 249, maybe, um, 250. It's coming up on that. But, uh, there's, there's a lot of, and the more I read history, the more this just stands out more and more, but there's this guy, Ray Dalio that talks a lot about the cycles of, of empires and mm-hmm. actually China has been on the rise for a while. But if you look at it, most people think it would go like up and down China and actually most, uh, governments, mm-hmm. they have more of this looping thing where they, they're on a rise, rise, rise. Uh, people are very wealthy. There's a massive gap mm-hmm. in, you know, what's easy, what's hard and what people want out of life. There always seems to be a gender component too, which is interesting. I shouldn't say always, but at least the last, couple thousand years and then some sort of a chaotic event happens like a civil war or a revolution or a global conflict and that causes a big change and usually it's a change in the government as well so then the cycle starts over Mm -hmm. and so the u.s is at this point where he has all these indicators that uh like education is super poor you know all these markers are really low Mm-hmm. And the really the only thing we have going for us right now in terms of a global superpower is that we're the Military. the reserve for currency. Okay. And um, but even that, as we're dealing with inflation, as uh, that affects other countries too, right? Because we're the global reserve for currency. So if other countries start getting fed up with the mm-hmm. inflation, they could start going, "Hey, uh, you know, let's use the Chinese. What is it? The, yeah. the yen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yen. So that's a Things like that can happen very uh, swiftly, but it, the more I've also read all this stuff, it I think it's taken the extra anxiousness, you could say, mm-hmm. um, from me because I'm like, oh, this is just a normal part of the cycle of a country. It's what are we going to do about it or what are we not going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- what stage do you think we're in? Well, it said, uh, I mean, if you look around, I mean, I, I feel like, Part of it is I feel very fortunate to get to live in a place like this and be surrounded by people like you, Mauricio, like all these really great people that while everybody has struggles, they've worked really hard to put themselves in a position to, mm-hmm. you know, not worry about where their next meal comes from. But when you leave that bubble, you see that it's very real all over the place and more and more and more and it's compounded. So, you know, I, I think we're at this stage where... We are in a decline, especially when you look at the educational system, you look at inflation, you look at uh, those markers. Um, but it's not like a a heavy decline to where everything is just bad, 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 bad. We we have an opportunity to fix it. But what, what's it going to be that, you know, I thought cryptocurrency actually was going to help pull us out of that mm-hmm. because you could consider that a peaceful revolution, mm-hmm. a revolution with the financial institutions, but that got squashed, mm-hmm. you know, by the powers that be. So, um, I don't know. We could, I mean, we could just keep declining and, 
and then we have some sort of a civil war. We have some sort of a war with Russia or China or something like that. And that would be enough conflict to make everybody go, okay, we're all American. You know, like, let's right. hug each other and figure this thing out. The, the things that we go through to learn these lessons, right? <laughs> it's like, do we really need to go through all that? Like, yeah. But it seems like it, I mean, God hope not, but like almost like it's necessary or something has to hit the fan before. You know, what's that saying? There's, there's two types of pain. There's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The, yeah, there you go. That's a nice yeah. one. Yeah. The pain of discipline, the pain of regret. I think it's true for countries apparently too. Yeah. Cause we just have to either like man up and, and get discipline and not, you know, uh, just make some structural change in society where people have a purpose to show up to every day. Yeah. Or, or we're going to be like, crap, we should have done that earlier. And then, you know, we're in the chaos. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, I can see that it, how challenging it is, especially having such an amazing society like the United States is, right? Because you're allowed to, to be allowed to complain about whatever the fuck you want. And that's, <laughs> and that's fine. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so having like, um, I don't know, 300 million or 280 million point of views like that, it's, mm -hmm. it's, you can't expect it to, you know, I think. Um, I'd say we're not doing that bad, but it does seem like we are, but you know, we're trying to keep it together. The fact that we can do this yeah. in broad daylight and then publish right. this later and nobody's going to come and chop my arm off later is pretty exciting. Oh my good, <laughs> I, You know, and I, I guess to go back into these topics like about China, people don't understand that. Like um, I was behind the Chinese firewall. So with that, what a lot, a lot of people didn't know what that means. So what it is, is that every country, let me, and you can fact check me on this because I don't know the, the technicalities, but they use their own computers, right? Their own servers to operate their uh, portion of the internet. So when you're living in China, you're using those particular computers or servers. Um, so then all access to the major social media outlets like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Google, like they're all blocked. So the ones that are left behind are like Bing and like um, Yahoo at the time. Um, but since they're allowed to do business within China, that means that they have to follow the rules. And the rules are if I want to Google Tiananmen Square, right? The top three hits are going to be pictures of Mao and pictures of Forbidden City. And then you do that, you know, in the Google like search engine, and then you'll see the tanks and the incident that's happened, right? So censorship is real. Um, and here coming back here, like we don't, I see it because I've lived the other end of the stick, right? But like here we do it, we take it for granted. You know, I know I do too. Like it's, uh, but it's very real though, you know? Um, How good is your, your Chinese history? Um, It's okay. Like it's not that. Yeah. Do you know? I know more like the general <laughs> of like they fought, they left, they fought again. Go ahead. Well, we're seeing some of this happen with censorship here. And this is one of the things that happened, I think, when Mao took over was they did a really good job of getting in with the kids. Right. And getting the kids to buy into this, like, you know, tell us what your teachers are telling you. And you guys are just nodding your head. Yeah. Well, I was just telling, I was just telling <laughs> Anita this, um, that, uh, I have, like, I have a, uh, a client that has, um, he's a foreigner and he's got, uh, kids and, uh, raised with a Chinese woman in China. Um, and he said, he tells me like that their kids are giving this little red book, you know, with these, uh, common, like these ideals that, uh, was implemented by the president to, you know, to be given to kids at grade school, you know, to, for, I guess the early stages of indoctrination, you know, 
um, yeah. or at least in that way. During, I think it was during Mao's time, and maybe it's happened more than once, but they were yeah. literally told to report, like, tell us what your teachers are telling you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it got really crazy to the point where even the kids would gang up on each other. And, like, some schools were turning into almost like a form of law enforcement prison type mm-hmm. thing where, uh, you know, hey, mom, dad, like, teacher said this today teacher disappears because it gets picked up by government officials and that's i mean that's when you start there that's where you really and the kids were even i mean there was like torturing each other and it was acceptable and uh and really they could point fingers at anybody in the school system and say hey they're not you know liberal enough or they're not conservative enough does does that sound familiar now I know, no, right? It's really, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a, to point that out. I was like, wait, it seems like we can do that as well. It's pretty crazy. And the, the, right? the next step, yeah. you know, really is when that becomes, uh, like violent. Right. You know, and that's the, that's when you start to have the revolution or a change in leadership. And the other thing is, I mean, think about leadership, you know, weak leadership. That's a huge indicator of mm. how a country is, um, projecting and, I don't really have a dog in the fight in terms of, uh, you know, I, I tend to be more middle of the road on politics, yeah. but I mean, it's hard not to look at Biden and say like, there's nothing about him that tells me like says strong leadership. Right. You know, I mean, think about running the people running other countries. They're just looking at this guy. Like it, it almost <laughs> seems like it's just like, it has to be a simulation. You know what I mean? Like, is it, <laughs> is this for real? Do you know what I mean? Like, like with the stuff that's, I, I mean, like I said, I'm even coming back here in needle politics as well. It's like, shit, is this is really happening yeah. right now? It's pretty bananas. I mean, has it? I mean, how has it been for you, like the past five years here? Like, have you noticed any significant changes for yourself? I, I mean, I've I've loved it. The only thing that was weird was in San Diego when they, you know, like during the. You mean like just in terms of the like politics? Or yeah, it's like the, social issues happening out here. Everything it seems like. What I've learned is like, I'm pretty vocal, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I'm not like, oh, I'm with this group, so I'm going to say this and I'm with that group. I just kind of share what I think. And then I find that people will respond how they want. Some people get, you know, kind of worked up at first, but I think once we can sit down and have a conversation, they usually go, oh, or okay, that makes sense. If you're referring to, cause I'm, 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 what's coming into mind are your uh, posts. I love your posts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, great source of information too like and it's i don't see those kind of posts all the time so it's always kind of exciting let's see what he's got going on today well, it's some really um um the content out there is i mean it's so it can be so polarizing right like you have so many different points of views and like either really extreme or very conservative mm-hmm. you know and then there's and my favorites are the memes right like the memes <laughs> like making light of it all but i mean it's Definitely, we have a lot to say. There's, I can feel it. Like in, I mean, at least in the, in, in the, uh, like in the internet, you know, the yeah. se- selective unconscious, the collective unconscious. Well, when they started getting rid of books, like Dr. Seuss books and things like that, I mean, I actually went and started buying a few books and I'm like, oh, what if they try to take this one off the shelf or this one? Mm-hmm. And there was a, there's a really good book that disappeared for a little bit called, uh, Outwitting the Devil mm-hmm. by Napoleon Hill. And I had, I don't know, like seven, eight copies because it's one that I would just share with people. And I'd given all my copies away on accident. Like I didn't realize I didn't save one for myself. And I'm like, oh, I got to go find this book. They're like, you know, they're locking down on books. Mm-hmm. And the book talks about 
And this, this is a guy that, you know, was writing stuff in like the 20s or 30s or whatever, but this book didn't get published until the 80s because his family was fearful for him to publish it. Talks about the religious system. And even when saying religious system, some people are like, what do you mean system? It's just religion. It's like, okay, whatever you want to call it. The religious system, school system, financial. And he mm-hmm. just really, I think if, if someone's willing to read it, like opened it up. But I had trouble finding that book for a little bit. And mm-hmm. so when I see things like that, it's like you're not allowed to have an opinion or um, any of those things. Like that stuff is, it's it's more dangerous than not dangerous. You know, right. it's more dangerous to not be able to have those conversations. Right. And but I guess like, okay, so now I imagine that. And then now being in Asia or at least China, it's like that on top of like, it's just more blatant. Yeah. You know, where here it happens, right? But um out there is just more in your face. Like you you know you're not allowed to do certain things. You know, like it's illegal. And yeah. for for like getting a VPN to access the internet, if you you're found with that, you get a fine. You know. I feel like I wouldn't last very long there. Like yeah. I just have that American blood where like I would disappear very fast. <laughs> it was very it, it was very difficult in the beginning, you know. And then after you kind of like I don't know, you kind of just see that the like it works, you know, somehow their society just, the society just works. Yeah. Like everyone seems in on it. They don't, people don't seem bothered. There's no, um, these, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the word desire, but there's no innate feeling of wanting to know the truth. I mean, I don't even know if that's a thing, right? Like wanting to <laughs> seek information yeah. or let's like, I don't know, any, uh, conspiracy theorist, you know, uh, personally you want to, I don't know, like be like, it's hard. I found this super funny. I think part of it too, you know, as I'm thinking about this is like, I, I call that maybe a social contract, like this agreement mm-hmm. socially, like we're all going to live this way and this makes us the most happy. So I think there's a sense of that, especially when people are in a certain environment for a while, even like a corporation, if someone works with a business, yeah, they adapt to the culture of that. And whether you like it or it's unspoken, like that is your, your social contract working in that company. So I think that happens with cultures too, but there's a super funny, I never heard of this comedian. His name was like Ron Font or something like that. Mm. And he goes on to say that, you know, if you don't, he, he said he finds it very strange when someone doesn't think that any, there's any merit to any conspiracy theories. He said, think about this. Like the government is in charge of, like you said, 280 million people or whatever it is. Right. And you don't think they've told any lies. He's like, I'm a father. I have one kid. I'm in charge of one person. And I lie to him all the time. <laughs> it's just like, you know, how is that? That's hard for people to grasp. Right. Yeah. So he be, would he be a good father or a bad father? Yeah. I mean, what? Him? Me? Right. What? Yeah. Oh. I know what you're talking about. I saw the guy. Yeah. Aside from your, for your post. That's so true. Yeah. I think took off. I, got... I mean, the fact that like... <sighs> Being skeptical about something, I, I guess the, the difference, right, between being a cynic about it or being skeptical about it. Like you can, there's no, I don't think it's wrong to just be skeptical about anything, you know. Mm-hmm. It's how you go about doing that. Like if you, to the point that you're being cynical now, like are you not, are you completely blocking out any other information? Then that's when it becomes a problem, I feel. You know? What's the, what's the longest you've ever been in a relationship? Oof. Um, like about six years. But this is, like I said, uh, in high school, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I don't know, it was six years, you know? Do you feel like there's some things when you're in any relationship, mm-hmm. you know, like even if it's a relationship with a, with a friend, right, that you've mm-hmm. known for a while or something, do you feel like there's things that you, 
that you just kind of let go unresolved or unmentioned because the rest of the relationship is good enough. You're just willing to accept that. All right. I feel like I have done that, but I feel like now it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the case now mm. because I, I I think that's a matter. And I'm responding to you in the sense of my awareness at the time that I've had those relationships. Yeah. You know, whether right now, um, if I were to choose to go on that route, that means that like either A, I was not aware of, of my behavior or, or ignoring it for a reason. So I'm almost inviting problems. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like inviting this like karma. Not I want to say karma, but like the effects of my lack of consequences or lack of decisions, you know. I think that's how most people live their life in general. And yeah. that's why we, when you look at like Gavin Newsom in California, guy openly lied to everybody multiple times about, you know, he was eating at the French Laundry restaurant. It just mm. like multiple times, but he got reelected because I think most people are going, well, change is hard. I don't know about the next guy. This is comfortable. Right. At least we didn't die. I think maybe some of us didn't, you I know, see. let's just keep going with it. Like people are just so willing to, ignore a lot of things um and and just keep going right like this is good enough versus right. like what's what's because i think being great at things is really hard mm -hmm. so if you want to make a great government if you want to make a great society like you have to put in work how would you encourage that in society because I, I i i see what you're saying like if every if the majority of the population sought to be like to do their best whatever that may be, right? If that was their case, um, it would be great for the overall, right? But um, there's a spectrum of people, so that we're not always gonna have that. So I guess, you know, we, how do we deal with the, with the lower end of the bell curve? Well, we talk a lot about democracy, but mm -hmm. there's also meritocracy too. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with that term, meritocracy? Yeah. I think one of the, the, the things, I mean, in life, everybody's, in essence, you know, rewarded by what you put in is what you get out. Now, mm. be, we have financial systems, things set up, so it's not the case. Like, you know, I have a life insurance policy. Something happens to me, my niece is, you know, she's going to be pretty happy when she turns 18. Mm -hmm. So we have these things set up so that, you know, the next generation maybe doesn't have to work as hard or earn that. So I think that's a big part of it. But when you, if kind of tying this into the government thing, right, like getting good leaders, it's a super unpopular opinion because we used to abuse it. But I, I think uh, with technology, we could do it in a much better way. And that would be having actual, maybe not call it a quiz or a test, but like an assessment before mm -hmm. you can vote. Because most voters are super uneducated. And so if there was some sort of a, you know, we used to, unfortunately, in the U.S., use it to prevent, like, black voters from voting. Oh, they mm -hmm. can't read, so haha, -ha, take this quiz. Oh, you can't pass it, you can't vote. In today's world, I don't think I have to worry about that as much because you could do, like, an audio version. You know, you could basically have a system set up that anybody could show up and vote. doesn't matter if they can read, right? It doesn't even matter if they speak mm -hmm. English. Now we can literally translate stuff. So there's a way to do a system where we could maybe require some basic understanding of who what why and how people are voting um before they cast their vote and how about on the candidate and would you change anything different on the what on the candidate side on the candidate side yeah i mean we have a two-party system so that's pretty i mean technically we have three parties but when you look at usually who's in charge of the third party anytime you get into what they're actually talking about you're like yeah. oh they don't really know mm -hmm. um so 
there was a really interesting that happened in Italy. Did you ever hear about the five star movement? So this was probably like 2012, 11. It could mm-hmm. be a little off on the date. And this is one of the first big cases of social engineering. It's been a little bit after using the internet to get people elected. I mean, now that happens all the time. Uh, but uh, they took this comedian and basically made him the front man. Mm-hmm. And it started off as like a joke, like a website. And he started talking, you know, negatively about a lot of the politics and everything. And just like, I would be better. And then they constructed all this stuff online to uh, put people that were like teachers, like kind of just a random, I want to say random with air quotes here, uh, group of people into the elections mm-hmm. under this like five-star party movement. And they managed to manipulate the internet in a way that a lot of these people got voted into the parliament. Whoa. So they completely overnight created a whole new political party. Mm-hmm. And it was people that did not have a history of being in politics, which we know is not always the greatest thing because there's a lot of favors you owe when mm-hmm. you do that. And so it really disrupted the Italian government, whether it was good or bad or, you know, neither one of those things. I don't, I can't really. Was this like a group or something that doing this? Yeah, it was, or uh, like some hackers. Or it, originally it was like a small, like a small team, like a few people that were okay. really good with the internet and thought it'd be yeah. funny, like to put this comedian as a front man. <laughs> and then it just like started building momentum and going and going. And problem was you had someone that was like, had been a teacher their whole life that knew nothing about politics now would be in charge of policies. And I think now what's happened after, 10 years, however long it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really cool, there's one really good article that dives deep in this. It's kind of old. You can find online if you type in like five star mm-hmm. politics, uh, Italy. Um, but same thing else, like they get indoctrinated into the system. And now the people that were the teachers or the mm-hmm. people that wanted to change the system, like they're just part of the system and they got absorbed into it. So really no change happened. Right. It sounds like this, like any system is just as much as we would like to change it, we like to experience <laughs> the flaws, right? To their fullest. Like, sorry. What would you do? Like, do you have some ideas about what would help um, fix this? I've, I've heard, I, w- I wouldn't say, and like, I'm going back again on generalizing level. I'm not trying um, at a policy level, but it'd be interesting to ask why people want to do the things that they want to do. Like, let's say you're going to be a mayor or what have you. Um, <laughs> you know, any responsibility of power, right? So this is, and this, I've only said this because of my experience in the past couple of years, but having like a really potent psychedelic experience, you know, as part, and you, you put whatever, you get the doctors, you get the therapist, whatever it is that you need to do. And it'll be part of the, uh, the selection process. Mm. How do you feel about that after, you know? Like and see, I mean, I know that's outrageous. I sound like a nut, but it's like, no, I just got to do some mushrooms and then I mean, cast like, your vote. I mean, I, because it's the empathy value behind it, at mm. least through any, like, in, you know, you can probably see, like, explore somebody's, um, who really understand or who, you know, would be comfortable with their subconscious or their, their conscious mind, right? Well, um, that's, and I'm not talking about like, okay, when I say this, I'm, I'm, it's funny, but I, I feel, I say it as a joke, but also like, hey, what, how, how bad would it be, you know? Like, yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I, so there's this quiz that, um, I use and it measures like narcissism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it measures narcissism, ego, things like that. And it's based on, there's a really cool book called The H Factor of Personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, so when I think about politics, one of the questions on there is, you know, if you were in charge of the world, would it be a better place? Pretty strong question. Right. Right. So what happens is, and this is measuring things like ego, honesty, humility, narcissism. 
And I don't know exactly how each question is ranked, but my thought process on that question is if you say yes to that, you're basically saying I would do a better job than everybody else that's running this place. So you have a high ego, high narcissistic qualities. And generally, and I could be way off, this is an opinion, uh, fine, that people who seek out power and control just think that their way would be the best way. And that is not often the case because, I mean, managing that many people or just anything in general, um, you're better off with a collective. I mean, even, you know, thinking about our presidency, like what if we had three presidents, right? That were like managing this thing together. Like that's a really interesting thought because one person, just one person. So, okay. To kind of like, I guess we can go a little bit from a different angle on this. Are you familiar with the stone ape theory? Uh, the, oh, the, the like McKenna, eight the, mushrooms yeah, and like and that evolved. expanded their consciousness. Right. And, yeah. So like, oh, it must have happened over a long period of time. And this is what they believe. Like, imagine like we're little tribes, right? A little commune, whatever. The, the, whatever the hominid that ate the mushroom, like the ability to empathize with others as well mm-hmm. is crucial. And you, I mean, they kind of hypothesize that one of those people must have been the leader. Those like the people that rise up to leadership, right? <laughs> so then now you have a leader, borderline, I don't know, medicine man or what have you, um, and that they're better able to lead the masses or their their immediate group simply because they can empathize more. And, you know, and that's simply with psilocybin. So I'm kind of taking that very, very simplistic, you know, like theory, but also like seeing now, like fast forward, we have like eight, whatever, seven billion people on the planet, like it changes, right? But I think it can be explored. Why not? You know, because I think people that um, would have a probably powerful or breakthrough experience would not want that. They wouldn't want to be in trouble. Yeah, exactly. There's a, I mean, in in a lot of human history too, women were a large part of leadership. So I don't necessarily, I mean, there's some really fascinating stuff about the patriarchy and all that. So I want to go off that rabbit hole. But women, um, because of being empathetic, yeah. do have very strong leadership qualities. Yeah. And so we have a system in the U.S. right now where it's not necessarily the most, you know, feminine or empathetic woman that gets elected. It's the one that's viewed as like the most aggressive and the strongest and mm-hmm. she'll lead us to victory. And that's, I don't necessarily know if that's super healthy, right? Right. I mean, whether with all respect, whether it be a guy or a woman, like we're gonna find out. Like no one can do the job. You know what I mean? Mm. It's one of those things. Like it's it's a hard ass job. Like yeah, to be but... to be in power. Um, so we probably should structure that or like think about that for the future. How we select our leaders. I, I learned this. Uh, there's a really cool guy, professor, when I was in community college, and he ended up being like close friend, mentor. Mm. Uh, still talk to him. It's been you know, over a decade, I guess. Uh, and he had this thing called a fishbowl exercise. And so we didn't really know what the purpose of it was. We just knew what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's called a fishbowl because we'd had a group of people sitting in the center of the classroom and then a group of people on the outside observing. And uh, the this there's multiple ones. The one that we had, the scenario was, you know, us, our group that was in the middle, we landed on the moon and we were given a list of equipment items. And we had to rank them in order in terms of what was most important because we might not be able to carry it all, things like that. And we had to get to like, you know, a certain spot on the moon to meet Mm -hmm. our 
uh, excavation team, the team that was going to help us escape the moon. So it was really important, like how you ranked this stuff. Mm. And uh, me being more like at that point, just kind of watching how people would respond, you know, I, I don't know if it was like just a naturally me wanting to be in charge or whatever. Um, it's actually called an emergent leadership exercise. See mm-hmm. who emerges at the leader because there's nobody assigned. So okay. everybody's equal when you start. It's like, here's your piece of paper. Here's your group. You guys figured out. And everybody's looking at you like, what? So you just start talking. So I noticed, you know, there's like a shy guy in the corner. Uh, you know, it's like the loud person over here. So I just wanted to make sure like everybody felt included. Mm-hmm. So I started going around like asking people questions. You know, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Not necessarily saying what I thought was right. But mm-hmm. by the end, everybody was looking at me to like run the show. There you go. Rank the items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, de- and there was this yeah. other girl that was actually like just super aggressive, very outspoken and very combative mm-hmm. with everyone. And, uh, she was smart. You could tell she was super smart, but not everybody wanted to communicate with her, right? Just because of her engagement with people. So we get to the end uh, someone else ended up writing the list, but it was Derek, you know, like, do you think we should put this one for a second type of thing out of the mm-hmm. whole group? Uh, and everybody didn't kind of fit in these roles. And so we get the answers at the end. He's like, all right, how do you guys think you did? And, you know, me sitting there, I'm like, yeah, that effect felt really confident. And like, yeah, I orchestrated that thing, like keeping that internally, you know? Uh, and so it was obvious, like, you know, Derek was the emerged leader. Well, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like the super loud vocal, like if we went with my plan, we all would have died, <laughs> right? But the super loud, like obnoxious, combative girl, yeah. the smart one, she was the one that got the most accurate item list, yeah. but people didn't want to listen to her, right? So going back to this, oh, if we did everything my way, it'd be great. I mean, how often does something like that happen in any group right. anywhere? Shit. Where it's the person that can play the game, not necessarily the person that's right. Probably all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So I love that because I carry that with me all the time yeah. now in any kind of group or outcome or anything. Like, well, I mean, I could be right. I could be, could also be wrong. <laughs> right. Did, were you, at the time that that happened, were you aware that she was right the whole time? Okay. I think I was just trying to win. You were just trying to win. I think I was just, okay. you know, like I'm 24 in yeah, a yeah. college class and like, yeah, I, I'm you like, know. screw this. I'm yeah, this. I'm like, watch this. Well, then there you have it. <laughs> there, there's your answer there then. Like, yeah. right? It's, it's human nature to want to, you know, be writer or like win. Just win. Man. Just got to win, baby. <laughs> right? Oh, man. But, um, yeah, I hope, you know, I hope that it like, I do, get more on the optimistic side of like socially what what will happen here but we'll see i'm excited to to be back and like you know see what see what goes on here yeah it should be okay um yeah and um what else was i was telling you about regarding china like after coming back um now been in long beach for three years now i don't about three years now um been enjoying it out there as well it's really nice. It seems similar to here in terms of like you're in your own little bubble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and now the, the goal this year would be, or not this year, but getting myself uh, settled in back. I want to now spread more of the message of the clubs, bro. You know, like get more people to swim would be, would be a dream of mine too. Well, Do something along the lines of what Mauricio is doing where he's doing his workshops. That'd be, that'd be something that I'm keen on. So, when I think about that, I think of uh, 
you know, even, even though I'd been around a bunch of different mm-hmm. fitness stuff, you know, I really was more, and I wouldn't even call it traditional because traditional is actually more stuff like this, but I was very much, you know, the gym outside mm-hmm. did stuff like hot yoga, things like that. But it took me being around this stuff. And actually this guy named Jared Thomas, you know, who he is? I do. Yeah. So Nashville, right? Yeah. So right. he's the first one that took me out to the beach and was like, here's how you use a club. Yeah. And it was awkward. It was weird. Every at the beach is watching us swing these giant things yeah. around. I'm like, this is so freaking embarrassing. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, here, here I was thinking I was a very coordinated human being. I am not, yeah. you know, until I start swinging this thing. But that's really all it took to go. There was something about that. And then that spiraled and then it started just me swinging around in the morning. And what did he, what did he give you first to use? Uh, I think it was like a 10 pound. He just had some on it clubs with him. So it was really just basic movements. You know, he taught me, I don't even know what the names of all of them are, but he just taught me some like very basic and some of it feels weird at first. If you're never someone that's like stood on the beach with a giant metal object and stood in like a warrior pose, like swinging it around, like that's a very strange feeling. Yeah. So I, I, I mentioned this specifically because as you, want to spread the word you know like, t- i can tell you a little bit about it like yeah. from my perspective well first of all shout out to jared man he's awesome <laughs> he is I, super I, he's cool one guy. of the uh, guys <laughs> that i've met i think i met him uh got in touch with him last year but been in touch with him ever since on instagram talked to him a couple of times either way um what felt weird about using the club or what did you feel like what, what are some of the initial when i mean my, i just had never it was just the uh, like it's also very empowering, right. which is interesting once you start using it. Cause yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of us were warriors once upon a time right. and blacksmiths or whatever, but it was just, it was just, it just felt, uh, like socially awkward, I guess okay. you could say, you know, okay. That's, or, go ahead. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, like the way that I introduce to, uh, when I tell people about swinging, I think about it. Uh, I once came across an article, uh, in an anthropological article on, the evolution of the human hand and the importance of it. Basically, it served two purposes that helped us evolve to what we are today now. The ability to throw accurately and the ability to use the club. That was maybe at the source of, not maybe, is what they claim was at the source of our evolution from hominids into our ancestors. And then, if you um, have you seen a space-time odyssey? Uh, uh, space Odyssey 2001, Stanley Kubrick. Ah, okay. Right? There's the, the, I think the first scene of the movie is called the, the, the Dawn of Man. And it kind of shows like a couple primates, you know, like they're fighting for resources, water or food or something. And, uh, that's when one of the, one of the, uh, the primates picks up a bone and starts using it as a tool, <laughs> you know? And that's like, you know, the scene, the name is called the Dawn of Man, but it's kind of his rendition of what happened, what happened when we first started to, use tools as people. So the clubbing motion or the throwing motion, I feel it's, it's one of the most natural things. So it's almost like walking, right? And the way that our shoulder joint evolved. So whenever, if you give like a toddler a stick, I mean like, you know, more or less when they can sit down, they kind of already have this motion. It's, it's, it's mm. like it's a primal instinct to just want to throw something or, you know, or yeah. swing something. Um, that's sort of where I stem, I stem from it. Um, like the way that I kind of see the origins of this. Now, there's been different uh, interpretations of this by cultures, right? Um, one being the Persian culture um, and the way that they came about with these Persian meals to train. Because uh, every, I mean, not because, but every form of training aims to mimic uh, 
let's say, a physical battle, per se. So if you're going to use a, a sword and a shield, why not train those patterns? That's what you see these Persian meals swinging mm-hmm. bilaterally. Like, that's the whole idea. Um, and there's so much symbolism, too, in the tools, whether it be a shino board, which is more of a push-up board, where, for me, I thought it was like, oh, it's, it's, it's a push-up board. Why do you need a push-up board? Well, there's a history behind it. Like, the, it resembles a... St- um, a sword and mm. they would train in the desert so it would be very annoying to put your hand in the desert in the sand so they would use their sword as a as a stamp so things like that ah. going, but going back into the earlier origins is just our ability to use our thumb that made clubbing and swinging for that matter like uh, um, I think so important and vital in our like success as a civilization like humanity I actually think, thinking back, one of the first words I used when Jared was like, so how does it feel? And I said, it just feels primal. Yeah. Like there's something about swinging it, and I've used that many times describing it, that it, right? right? Like, Perfect segue to the name, Primal <laughs> Six. Like literally, like I know I didn't, I, I didn't uh, straight up talk about like, why is it the name Primal Six? Mm-hmm. Um, primal in the sense of being human, like the referring to physical movement expression in this case. Um and six as in the six degrees of motion, right? That you can move in a three-dimensional space. And the third six is um, the sixth sense, your mind-body connection for it, you know? Um, and that's sort of like how the name came about and why, you know, primal six. And, primal six letters too. Yeah, primal six letters. I, I do have, I think my friend, the, he was a marketing guy. He's like, you need some, you need some words and he's like strength, balance, and motion. Okay. You know, to just describe the kind of like three aspects of that I feel I resonate with. And that I tend to uh, value when it comes to the movement. Yeah. Can you can you talk more about this? Because I yeah. I have a very loose understanding, but when you talk about moving in three D in the six different directions, okay. I know that I've it's on my radar simply because of okay. the group of people that right. I've talked to. So but. it's just basically going through the terms: the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, come, right? Yes, it's yeah, like basically right. I'm gonna start moving. Shit. He's moving around. <laughs> it's moving. Around. It's like basically going through the motions. You can yaw, you can heave, right? You can mm-hmm. turn, you can twist, uh, you can move forward. So sagittal, you can move to the side. That's what it means. Um, but in in uh, in engineering, it's it's uh, that sixth dimension is a term for, used for functionality, and I think also TACFIT uses it six degrees of motion. But it's it's not owned to one specific system. It's just the overall. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that refers to. You know, moving along different planes. And the club is one of the very few tools. I mean, at the kettlebell too, people get very fancy with it. That allows you to move with it. Like you can move yeah. with it. And that's what I, I enjoy more about it. You know, I throw that thing between my legs, up in front of yeah. me, switch hands. Yeah. Fling it, it around. It's such a I I mean it's such a uh, um misunderstood tool you know and rightfully so that's just like there's a need for more education on this and more ambassadors more people to talk about this right but it's definitely uh you'd be surprised what you what we thought originally was more of a function of more of a linear strength pattern with there's nothing wrong with that building hypertrophy and working more your more linear lifts that's fine but there's um there's a there's something to be had with swinging right because it's not just only the physical benefits, it's the meditative benefits mm-hmm. also too. And you're not only develop, it's not only just training. Like it does become like an art of sorts. That's a yeah. point, right? And it's when you approach any movement, because that can be anything, right? They can be uh, poor, you can be, uh, I don't know, juggling, whatever you want to be. Um, just to make 
make sure there's some reverence to want to grow within the art, you know, as opposed to like, I want to get really good out of a bicep curl, which is fine, <laughs> but there's a specific goal with that, right? Like I want to gain, you know, muscle or what have you. Yeah. I was trying to explain to my nephew, he's 16, he's really into fitness now. Mm-hmm. He's just doing a lot of curls and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think I was just teasing him. I was like, ask me how many curls I've done in the last six years, seven years. He's like, how many curls you done? Right. Like zero. Right. Right. Totally. Like I just like, yeah. So I tried, I was trying to teach him, yeah. you know, primary, secondary muscles, things yeah. like that. But when you talk about swinging too, one thing that makes me think about is like actual are apes and gorillas, yeah. right? Like they're not doing bench press, but they're pretty strong. Right. Uh, you know, what are they doing? They're, they're flinging stuff around, they're swinging, they're, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting concept. Well, if you look at it from an, like an anatomical perspective, like if, as you're facing me, right, we have all your big muscles in the back, right? Your lats, your quads, your glutes, your triceps. So, um, like getting like that, that expression comes into mind. Biceps are for show, triceps are for go, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And there's nothing wrong. Do your biceps. I, I probably go with chin-ups instead of using dumbbells, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the whole idea that po- being posture chain dominant, we need to be able to focus on that or prioritize that a little bit posture more. Posture chain. What does that mean? Uh, but posterior chain. So uh-huh. we're, we're, we're posture chain dominant. So all your big muscles are in the back. Got it. Okay. Right? So, so I would be less likely to be doing bench press. Like I don't bend. It's not, not that it's bad. I'm not against that I've done it before, but it's not mm-hmm. my thing in terms of, uh, what I would prioritize for myself. But that also depends on goals. Absolutely. But if I can do one thing, I would want to do something that can um, level, like get me better at other skills, like my other like balancing agility and get me prepared to move rather than to be isolated. Yeah. Makes sense. So what are, when you, when you talk about spreading, you know, mm-hmm. the use of, of these types of tools and things like, are you pretty hot? Uh, yeah, it's okay, but I, I get on it though. Here, we can move. But I'm also not. How are we doing? How are you guys doing on time? Yeah. Well, how are you doing? How are you? Oh, I got all this. What I okay. do this for 12 hours straight. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if I'm boring you or not. No, man, you're, you're good. This is golden. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to start new things, mm-hmm. but we know this is really good for people from a nervous perspective, like you're talking about functional yeah. movement, longevity, like those types of things. So what's your plan? How do you... How do you get someone who's either into working out already and maybe doesn't want to change or someone that has never been introduced to these things? Um, how right. do you get them into using this? It's okay. Good. Very good. Very great question. Like, I love it. Um, the, what I've learned from, from the stages of doing this from the time of having a gym, right? Like when I first, I had, by the way, I had a, the first unconventional training facility, Torque Wellness in Shanghai. This is three years back, bro. I have to show you some pictures. It's amazing. Um, it back then at the time, like it wasn't so new, such a novice thing, right. That everyone wanted to be a part of it, but there was that entry, but there was also because the CrossFit boom was going, happening in China. There was like, Nope, that's not going to help me lose weight. That's not going to help me. That's not, there was no need. Right. Um, so I've, I got to experience that. So, then what was my, like the market that I kind of see for who would this resonated with more out there? Women particularly, and also middle-aged men. Hmm. Like that was it. Like it, it, the younger guys didn't seem to be so into it. I think they maybe either 
A, they felt intimidated by trying to swing a 15 pound mace, you know, something <laughs> like that. And they realized how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Or B, they just didn't, it was not in line with their goals. Oh, my peacock muscles, Sean. Right, I gotta exactly. have big biceps. Exactly. Exactly. So I've been lucky enough in that the majority of the clients that I have either find me because of this reason mm-hmm. or I introduce them along the way. And we usually introduce with, uh, because they can be intimidating when you see a club that does yeah. this, right? So we start off with the lower weight clubs, like one club is fine. Um, and without even swinging a club, just showing them you know, how this swinging motion and just by being bipedal and what kind of movements uh, you can do already, right? That, um, But not to really look at it like, oh, I'm training. Like you're doing this throughout your body. What I'm helping you is just the maintenance with, right? Um, so I try to sprinkle... Uh, not only like my philosophy about one training, which is mainly has a lot to do, um, with aging gracefully. Like it's more of like how long you can do something, how comfortable do you feel at doing something? Mm. Um, as opposed to like, do I need to do this to look a certain way? You know? Yeah. Um, so I use that a lot. I use, I mean, I try to use, especially depending on who they are. And I'm thinking of one, one student in particular who is very busy. You know, so I need to, you know, I know that they don't have enough time maybe to, to devote to the practice and it's okay, but we just incorporate simple movements, you know, into their uh, regular training program. I know something that happened with me, which I thought was pretty yeah. interesting going back to thinking of like natural, you need anything? Or? No, no, I'm good. I'm just okay. stressing. You want to, uh, okay. No, we're good. Just stressing. Uh, I got other chairs, got whatever, whatever you want. I got pillows. We're um, good. I'm, I'm really comfortable here, but <laughs> great space. Cool. Um, like what happened with me was I, I think in my early twenties, I spent a lot of time and I, you know, manipulated my body in a sense of like, okay, I want to gain a bunch of weight. So I jumped up to like 193 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was muscle and people actually thought I was taking steroids and I'm like, no, I'm just 193. Yeah. Wow. And I'm, yeah, my frame, I'm like yeah. 5'11 and like probably right now I'm 170 ish or something like that. Yeah. So, but, uh, it, it was a lot of eating, a lot of protein, stuff like that, right? And it was purely just to see, like, how strong I could get. Um, or I've, like, cut a bunch of weight and, like, oh, what does it look like to have the abs and all that stuff? And it always seemed like there was a lot of work and focus to do those things. But once I switched to a lot more of these functional movements or mm-hmm. just 100%, like, uh, focusing on, I guess, whole body just, you know, like optimization or peak performance is one of my favorite terms around Mm. that. Uh, All the other stuff was still there. And in some ways, even kind of crazier, you know, don't even think about it. It's just like, wow, you know, the aesthetics are a a benefit of just being really good shape and being healthy. Like they'll, it'll come right. Like when you least think about it, when you're thinking about, Oh, okay, I want my, to look a certain way, it will just come. And that's, I feel like that's, and then that'll be more because I feel like your mind is in line with your body. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that's, you're, you don't have that added pressure of like, oh shit. So it's more of a, I'm doing this because I recognize it's good for me. Mm-hmm. And then your body just kind of goes in and, and just, you know, cooperates, I'd say. What kind of stuff are you doing for body weight training? Or I know you say you, you roll, right? You, yeah. And nice. a given week for me usually has like a couple sessions of hot yoga. I usually do like the Bikram style. Yeah couple two three four days of weight training mm-hmm. uh i love the air bike i'll use the air bike down at the lifetime fitness or that mm-hmm. one um probably gonna go for a run later this afternoon nice some kickboxing jujitsu 
uh, pretty active. Well, that's it. You, <laughs> got, fact, you got them all covered now. I've had to learn to yeah. peel back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was having lunch the other day with a couple of guys uh, where I train at 10th Planet, and they're amateur fighters. Mm-hmm. And I really guess I just push my body super hard, especially with like business and all the normal stresses of life. Mm-hmm. I When I used to hear, it sounds kind of silly and naive, but when I would hear that professional fighters would train like six, eight hours a day, I thought they were literally just going hard six hours mm-hmm. a day. And they're like, no, no, no. It's like two hours of going hard, then like yeah. an hour of drills and all the other stuff is pretty light. So, I mean... I think I really, for a long time, probably just push myself super, yeah. super hard because I would have days where for me, like a, a fun day mm-hmm. would be go work out in the morning, hit the sauna, uh, you know, cardio, like, like lift weights, cardio, sauna, mm-hmm. then hot yoga, then jujitsu. Like that would be like a normal, like fun day for me. Right. But then not, you know, if you do that, apparently you need like 10, 11 hours of sleep. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, I had to learn. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> That'll take a toll on your body eventually. Turns out it did. <laughs> eventually, the good thing about at least about BJJ, you don't have to roll at a hundred percent, right? Like you can, yeah. you can flow. I don't. I think I very rarely roll anything. Like yeah, it's it's it is very much. Um, in the beginning, I think I started off that way, just not understanding the mentality mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> right. You learn very quickly, right. like it's it's not it's a... like it's the most humbling experience ever. Yes, yes, yeah. to be submitted like <laughs> against your will, like oh, you would have killed me if this was the real world, you know? Yeah, like it's it's a uh, it's interesting. Do you still train at all? Or? I haven't trained. Not after like my um. So another thing that I'm very passionate about is foot health. Okay. So uh, my bunnies have gotten worse, um, and w- I didn't realize how much dorsiflexion of the big toe is in BJJ. Mm-hmm. Top position, bottom position. You're constantly flexing. So for me, if you're thinking about like, let's say you're on top and you're smashing someone, right? You're over them. So you're, um, you're putting a lot of pressure on that toe. Mine kind of caves in. Uh-huh. And I used to tape it at times. Honestly, I used to tape that, but it's not worth it. Like it wasn't worth it for me enough to, um, uh, to join, but no excuses. I can still do like, let's say off of my guard, mm-hmm. right? So, but I would have to be very specific that, you yeah. know, with that. I was going to ask you, I know uh, uh, you're at 10th Planet and here. Yeah, so you, do, you could just come there and lay on your back all day. Be on your back. Yeah, be on your back. It's encouraged there. Yeah. Start it's, off on your back. That's all, that's all it is. It's definitely start <laughs> off on your back. My, yeah, my buddy uh, um, teaches out in the Costa Mesa. Okay. So there's definitely 10th Planet out there. Right? And you're right. I could yeah. probably, should probably do that as well. It's more or less for me being conscious that, because I know if I mess up, it's it's uh it'll have more of an impact on me so talk a little bit if you're if you're good with it because i I don't really understand like even what a bunion is or let me you're talking about this yesterday right so (laughs) um so if you look at let's say look at i mean you look at your hand just real quick Mm -hmm. and see if you have like imagine your hand for those of you listening or if you look at your feet right imagine that the big toe tarsal right that big toe is really a key function um when it comes to a lot of things, but particularly balance. So if you're man- imagining you're standing yourself upright, a lot of the pressure is going to be going on the big toe. So that's the big toe. That's the, mm-hmm. this guy, right? Now the pressure kind of flows into an S into the big toe joint here. So it looks like here. Let's check it out. It goes from here, and I'm pointing at my toe into the bottom, and then goes into an S like that into your mm-hmm. heel. So what happens when you have a bunion is that 
and that it's a hinge joint. So there's a deformity between the tarsal from the heel to the one connecting to your toe. Hmm. That's why you produce this, uh, this deformity here, right? Okay. So what does that do? That, that displaces, uh, biomechanically what it does, it creates a triangle instead of a square. Hmm. So when you push, when you, when you put force on your, uh, on your big toe, the, the, the hinge pops out. So it creates instability mm. into the big toe. So what happens from people that have, and there's, it's, it's something around like 23% of the population has bunions, or at least within males. Wow. Between the ages of like, I think it's 18 to 45 or some shit like that. Um, and this is, and it's, and it's viewed differently amongst men because usually it's associated with like older women that have like, yeah, you know, that be, it's like that. Grandma was like, Dude, my bro, I, guys, if you have bunions out there, don't be ashamed about it. Just fucking talk about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> Like it's, you know, it's what it is. Like you're, I've been dealing with them and I'm like, I think I promote it quite a bit anywhere I go now. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it's a, it's a deformity of the big toe. Then, then what does that translate? That means that I'm not going to be able to activate my glutes a lot. I'm not going to be able to activate my calves a lot because my step changes, hmm. you know? Um, so your gait me- mechanic changes instead. And it does, it, it's getting to the point now where, where it's affecting my lifestyle. This is where now I'm looking into surgery options, which um, I've had my um, my podiatry intake like just recently. So I'm pretty excited. At least I know the procedure that I want now. So what, yeah. can you elaborate on that? What's a gait mechanic? Uh, gait. So your gait cycle is your, apologies, the, uh, your natural walking pattern. Okay. Okay. So it's your natural walking pattern. There's usually like, a, like and it's for any a bipedal creature or any, like it's the way you're walking. So some people tend to heel strike. Some people tend to be on their tippy toes a little bit more. So pay attention to that. And the easiest way you can do that is look at the bottom of your shoe. Look at the bottom of your shoe or look at the insoles and see where there's more pressure coming in. You should on healthy feet see um, like a the arch, meaning not you're not going to have a flat foot on, on the side to it, a pretty pronounced toe, pronounced heel and a pronounced side, uh, the side uh, midfoot. Inside or outside? Um, outside usually. Like you, that's because it falls like an S pattern mm-hmm. from like the big toe here into the bottom and the side. So that's the same pattern you should see on your shoe. Yeah, as that well. should be. That would be in the side of a healthy foot. You know, okay. A, a side of a healthy foot usually. But yeah, and and as far as the causes for bunions, you guys, if you, it, this is where I, I recently kind of believe it's not necessarily just the shape of the shoe that fixes this. Before I was always, oh shit, like pointy shoes, bad, bad, bad. But it's not necessarily the case because I know some people who have used pointy shoes all their lives, but they don't have that problem. Hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that's like always the case. And I know some podiatrists are recently talking out about this too. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, being barefoot's really good. Does being barefoot help with yes. that? Yeah, yeah. I, I probably, I mean, just up to recently, I started wearing shoes more, but um, mm-hmm. I would, I've been living barefoot a lot of, big portion of my life yeah well that's the thing and i i'm not a scientist on this but i i remember learning a while ago it seems like when you have a lot of arch support you're actually doing your foot a huge disservice and the rest of your body so i see all these shoes and people like oh they're so soft and they're so comfortable and they have these giant you know arch support i'm like i don't know if that's good for you You well all right so let's break it down like this there's like 33 joints you know, in the foot alone. And mm-hmm. like 24% of like the fucking bones in the body are in the foot. Like think about that for a little <laughs> bit. Okay. Like 
it, it's, it is like the Vinci said, it's a piece of art. Like it is a masterpiece, your natural, um, um, what do you call it? Your, um, your art support is there for a reason, right? And when we're having shoes that limit range of motion, uh, A, B, that are uh, restricting our toe box movement, right? And C, also eliminating the connection that we have with, because they're thick, we're going to lose a, a sense of proprioception. You know, I don't know. Have you ever slack nine before? Uh, By any chance? I like tried to do it once or twice. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give this as an example. That's like the, for people who don't slack line, yeah. it's, it's like when you have a line tied between two trees or poles or right. something, and it's like kind of got a little tension to it or a lot of tension. But. Right. And what I'm trying to get at right now is either whenever you're going to balance, whether it be on a slack line, on one foot on your own, mm -hmm. if you take off your shoes, you're going to have a different experience than if you have them with your shoes on. Mm. Because you're, you're obviously, you have, um, you have more connection to the ground and mm -hmm. more sensory input coming in, right? Because it's like our hands, I think it's something like 200,000 nerve endings I think we have down there. Yeah. You know, and that's, those are our primary sensors, you know. There's but, this, um, there's this company that makes these badass flip flops called Toehold. Oh, I know. This is this Brian Callen's company. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I guess he. I guess he's associated with the company. Yeah, he is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the guy that runs, I think his name is uh oh a Agor Ager. It's A G I R O R. But dude, they yeah, uh, yeah that yeah, company right there. She, yeah, it's like, she's like pulling stuff oh, yeah. up while we're doing this. Awesome. This is great. <laughs> dude, they have yeah. some really cool marketing videos <laughs> that just talk about the feed and all the nerve endings. Yeah. But just looking at the way they make them, you know, part of what they talk about is that this is how folks made footwear a long time ago. Like we just right. lost the art at some point of uh, having the natural formity of of the foot in our footwear. Yeah. Absolutely. And these are flip-flops, right? So mm -hmm. like there's a thing with flip-flops and because I'm, I'm, I'm such a barefoot nerd. Like I love yeah. barefoot products and like, look at my socks, bro. Like, yeah. You know, that's <laughs> barefoot socks and everything. Um, I used to be all over flip-flops, having those rainbow flip-flops before, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. California something. Um, and I think that had a lot to affect, you know, my, my, my bunion growth over the, over the years. You added to it? I added to it. And I'll, t and I'll tell you how I, I know okay. for a fact that it added huh. to it. Cause it, and I'm not a doctor, but I have to say, it seems to me that in a pre-existing condition, having flips ups does not help you. Oh. And I'll tell you why. Because, and it just makes sense. Um, that flip flop when you're walking is unstable because there's no heel attachment. So, so depending how loose it is, you're going to have to use that big toe a lot to center it. People don't, or you're going to kind of have to drag uh, your feet, you know? So this is kind of interesting, like here, in, in the sense, not that heel kind of limits the way that you're going to walk, right? Especially if you're walking down the stairs, you know? Like think about walking with flip pumps down the stairs. You're putting more pressure on that big toe. But you do it naturally. You don't think that you're doing it. So... I would like to see those sandals with some sort of heel strap. You know, I, I think like so. That. Yeah, I think mean, they're out there. Like the um, the Earth Runners, they kind of came about from um, the Taramara running culture, the, the Raramuri, that have one of those. Uh, have you seen those sandals, those garages? Uh -huh. So what happens? What happens for me with flip flops? And this actually happened. I did not really wear flip flops before I lived in Brazil. But then you go there and Avianas are like, right. everybody has 30 pairs of them. Someone gave me a pair for a gift. And I actually still have that same pair because they last forever. But my whole, my whole, okay, that's interesting. She's good at this. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. the, 
I, I wore them so much that I generally like when I run for yeah. as long as I can remember have been more of like a tiptoe runner, right? Yeah. Like on the front balls of my feet. Nice. Uh, but from wearing flip flops a bunch, I noticed that because I think my body either taught itself or in some way, shape or form did not want to do what you're talking about mm-hmm. is that I walk really heavy in yeah. flip flops and it's almost on purpose, like, and it's heel toe. It's not my normal kind of forward like eight, leaning yeah. walk. So it's like when I wear flip flops, my entire, I'm like sinking into every mm. single step. It's, it's mm. super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it does play a factor. I know but they're formed. They've also formed like the exact shape of my foot because I've just sunken into them so much. And those are comfortable, by the way. Like that's where you're talking about the Hawaiian like, Yeah. They're, they're, they're cool. And I know they're super popular. There's also some that are really hard. And yeah. there's like, so I can see, yeah, that, yeah, you got me thinking about that. So in terms of like tips, like here, I, I don't know if this is in turn to a foot health Do it. segue. Do it. Um, just choosing a, when you're, when it comes to shoes, obviously like there's a, fashion versus function debate right mm. so if you can find one that suits both of those needs that'd be ideal but in the meantime like if you can think about a wide enough toe box you know mm-hmm. and it's interesting like derek this is i, I find this so funny as people somewhere along the lines we decided that pointy shoes were fucking sexy or cute <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about like how uh, does yeah. that happen bro like you know it's kind of like but it is like i get it i see it i see it <laughs> you know you see I'm gonna come when it comes to women, ladies in heels. Like it's like um, I don't you know. Do you know about foot binding? Yes, of course. How that yeah, used to be yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. New, that's man. That's that's another thing itself. That's like, mm-hmm. but I guess along the same things. How did we think this this was? You know, um, I don't know. Fun, not, I don't think functionable, but fashionable. But either way, so choosing a heel that has a reasonably wide toe box, which is very uh, essential. And toe box, not necessarily, uh, it's from the, the side of the foot. So your widest part of the foot mm-hmm. is usually where you want to measure from. Okay. And then the other thing that you're looking for is for, um, um, can your shoe, is it flexible? A flexible mm-hmm. shoe? Because you want to have that, that, that maximum range of motion and allow your feet to move. Um, and then I'd say those two, as, as far as top tips, you know, like, uh, to get into, um, um, minimal footwear does that pretty important. absolutely and it's yeah. with minimal footwear essentially too is for a lot of people the first time they use them even if it's just a little bit of walking they're like why do my feet mm-hmm. what are my feet or why are my feet tired and it's like oh those are muscles you're not usually using and so you have to adapt a bit there was like a lawsuit with that with the vibram five fingers i think right where people started suing the company because they were getting injured and it specifically wow. said, do not start running the way, don't, oh, don't just, just start, start doing your regular physical activity. Like you, I did that, by the way. Right? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're strong feet, bro. Like if you, if you don't feel. You I know. was running a lot and I got yeah. those things and it was like, break them in gradually. Yeah. So instead of like an eight mile run, I ran like two miles. Yeah. I noticed like a mile in, I'm like, whoa, my legs are really tired. Wait yeah. a second. And it, I turned around and I think after two miles, like for two or three days, mm-hmm my feet and i was like i was excited about it luckily i was like 25 and already in good shape but yeah Yeah. it was it was crazy it can take a toll on you i mean being walking barefoot like um or being barefoot bro i'm a barefoot runner like any time the majority i i probably run barefoot more than with shoes than i have ever super good for you it is your brain like your nervous system it wants your toes in the sand yeah (laughs) it does 
It definitely does. And also kind of like you're, you're sort of forced to be aware at all times because you don't want to, I mean, mm. common sense, right? You don't want to, I don't run just in the street and anywhere. I try to minimally control the environment either in a park or what, you know, something yeah. controllable at least, you know, but it's good for you. But please people walk before you run, you know, <laughs> literally like <laughs> seriously, like walk before you run, take off your shoes in your house, take off your socks. I feel people don't, There, there's a good thing between taking off socks. Why, why, why is that? Yeah, it's feet. People are they feel weird about their feet. Maybe they don't wash them enough. <laughs> wash your feet, people. Is that what it is? Wash your feet. Uh-oh. Definitely. No, it's all good. Like I don't like when I because if I'm barefoot all the time, like that's likely to stink because there's no moisture. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they are dirty, but they're like less moisture. Some resilience. Yeah, some some calluses but out resilience. there. Yeah, but that's what's out there recently. Like also part of a. Uh, just to make it a segue back into it, another part of the things that I'm passionate about that I promote to along when I'm uh, training people, or, you know, and I want, I, I think I briefly talked to you about that when we we're on the phone. I want to get into a project of, of, of doing more of the bare hood, uh, foot health awareness. Also, I'll show you some shoes that I have too that I think you might be, maybe you already know about them, but before you leave, we'll, we'll look at some shoes. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Come on. I'm like, yeah, cool. I love that. Boy, I know. Uh, is there anything else in particular that you wanted to to dive into? Um, well, let's see. Well, we talked about the swing. We talked about the background experience. Uh, I mean, as far as like now, like now, I think we covered a lot. I mean, we've definitely been here for I don't know. Time time does go by quick. Yeah, you know? I was really excited to come in and hang out with you, though, man. I know. I was like, I can't believe we're actually quite very close. So I'm sure that if, you know, the opportunity presents itself, you can come up there and like experience a day, um, you know, because I think we have some mutual friends here. Yeah. You know, but um, no, that's it. I, I feel, yeah, we're good. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming by. <laughs> Thank This you, has been man. super fun. Yeah. And uh, why don't you give yourself a plug, website, sure thing. all It's, your stuff. Uh, let's say so closest thing it's Hammurabi Fuentes at primal dot six primal dot six uh, that's on Instagram and from there you're going to be able to find everything else oh you know what there is one more thing I want to ask you let's talk about, about your name okay your name is you have a badass okay name. Yeah, sure so where yeah. does that come from okay so I got this question asked last night it was like what does your name mean what well, doesn't mean anything um, it uh, it's the name of a king so it For history buffs out there, of your people that are familiar with the expression an "eye for an eye," or a tooth for the tooth for a tooth," that's Hammurabi. He was he's known for uh, the first written law code uh, in ancient Mesopotamia, so Babylonia, and it was pretty cool actually. Like uh, the first time I went to Paris, I found myself at the Louvre at the hotel at the sorry at the museum, and um, I got lost in the Louvre. Because uh, it's massive. I end up walking and I see the stella of Hammurabi. But I've only seen it in a picture before. And it's a big giant stella, big piece of stone, like maybe about 1.4 meters or so. I mean, it's tall. Um, and then there he is. It's Hammurabi presenting the uh, the, the laws to the sun god. Um, yeah. So that's where, are you familiar with the name or? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. we briefly touched okay. on That's what made me think of it is I was reading so, something about Mesopotamia so, and I was like, wait a second, did you know your name after a king? Yeah. And you're like, I did. So I how did, do. so how did the name happen? It, this is, this was my dad's doing. Um, I guess at the time he was in middle school, he saw the, I mean, I, he just gifted me the book, actually the book that he found the name in. And he's like, whenever I have a kid, this is going to be the name. 
And that's how he got it. But it's very unusual, man, because the last name is Fuentes. So it's a lot of confusion. Like, where are you from? You know? <laughs> it's cool. Uh, thank you, man. And you're talking it. meters too. So, you know, I do. That's a shit. I need to get, <laughs> I need to get back into, I, I have to say, uh, the, not, whole not to back. the whole just, world uses it. Yeah. Come on. But you know, the US is the weird one. I do still talking kilograms and I do Celsius fucking, sometimes. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right. But you're right. I have to be, be more mindful about that mm, well, yeah man. i mean if 80 percent of the world is doing it one way the u.s is the weird one <sighs> are we but uh thank you so much for having me Derek. Absolutely. You know, you know, thank good. you it's been super fun yeah off we go off we go thank you love <laughs>